0: Today, on the Word Preacher Podcast, the source of Christ's doctrine and how to know it, shall Christ come out of Galilee, a woman taken in adultery, how the truth shall make you free, and Christ as the Good Shepherd. I am Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. (music) All right, today we are covering John chapters 7 through 10. There's a lot of really good information here. There's no way we can get to all of it in this podcast, but we will cover a few points starting in John chapter 7 with the source of Christ's doctrine. So many times in the Church of Jesus Christ, we talk about the doctrine of Christ— and uh, and how fundamental that is to everything that we believe. And it's interesting, here in John chapter 7, Jesus describes the source of that doctrine. He says this, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So the question is, why would Jesus require people to act without knowledge in order to gain knowledge? So the source of his doctrine, he's saying, is his father. And to know if the doctrine is of God without knowing it beforehand, you have to do it. Isn't that blind obedience? Is Jesus asking us to have blind faith? Is that what he's talking about with with respect to the source of his doctrine? Um, Not exactly. Now, he did ask people to keep the same laws that they already knew before. He certainly was not asking people to throw away everything that they had been taught, and in their hearts they knew was right. Um, In fact, he explicitly stated that in the Sermon on the Mount, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Uh, He was not getting rid of what was there. You hold on to that. You use your existing abilities to understand truth and morality and detect whether something is divine in order to use what he is teaching and determine whether or not it is also divine. This is important. He's not overwhelming uh, people who were skeptical about him with his power, which he absolutely could have done um as as we talked about in our easter lesson he truly could have called down 12 legions of angels and uh it, i mean who were the chief priests and pharisees uh going to believe at that point but that wasn't his purpose in coming it was to act with a bit of faith it's not to have a perfect knowledge of everything beforehand so maybe when we say Blind obedience. That's not an accurate representation of what Jesus was doing. But maybe it's something like it. Maybe it's like really bad vision obedience. Because we don't always know everything that uh, comes from Jesus or his prophets. We don't always understand the big picture. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And Jesus wants us to have faith. In spite of it, he wants us to keep his commandments in spite of whatever doubts may be. Why is it then that Jesus, who is literally the king, the judge, the Lord, the one on whom all must rely, why would he not say that he is the source of his doctrine? The other half of, of this uh, passage in John seven sixteen and seventeen but why say my doctrine is not mine? It was important for him to show that the chief among us is servant. This is exactly what he would preach time and again. Let he that is chief among you be servant. He that was highest descended below everything. On our behalf. It's humility. It's humility that caused him to say his doctrine was not his. Okay, so there's a lot of misinformation that was going around about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. uh, And Nazareth was uh, in the area right around Galilee, up by the valley of Jezreel, the remnants of the northern kingdom. It had not been uh in the old kingdom of judah it was uh it was a separate province and in between galilee and judea was the area where the samaritans lived and so they were kind of isolated from one another and the chief priests and pharisees um they uh, particularly were opposed to the idea of some galilean coming and um, asserting authority over them who had been in the holy city, Jerusalem, this whole time. And it wasn't just them. It was all of the people. And if we look a little bit further in John chapter 7, we can see that. He says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of The truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? And then also the Pharisees, of course, join in as well. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never men spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. So you have a couple of groups of people here, each making their own errors based on misinformation. You have people who make a judgment about Jesus without knowing the entire story. Like if they would have got past the, oh yeah, Jesus from Nazareth and got to, well, where was he born? They might have learned that he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and that it was later that he went back and grew up and uh, lived in Nazareth. But uh, he absolutely fulfilled the prophecy. So it was based on misinformation that he could have made a big deal about and tried to correct, but um, the scriptures do not record that he did. And then also, the popularity among scholars, skeptics, and elites has never been good advice for determining whether somebody comes from God. Kings and councils of kings frequently attacked men of God For preaching uncomfortable truths. They did it in the Old Testament. They did it in the New Testament. They are doing it now. When people say things that are uncomfortable, uh, it it is not popular. It's not popular to make a lot of the stances that uh, prophets make. Certainly was not popular for Jesus to preach what he preached but he did it anyway. Uh, Humility. The opposite of of just assuming that the, the scholars and skeptics and elites are always right on everything and that they are looking at the big picture. If we think, maybe I don't know the big picture. Maybe it's not enough to just ask when there's some skeptical piece of information, is it true? But maybe... I don't understand it at all. Why did this happen? Even if it is true, I don't know where that fits. This is an important step into learning the truth. If we assume that we know all of how uh, everything fits together and why people and prophets have, and even Jesus himself have done what they've done throughout time, well, it can lead to misunderstanding as it did for them who could not even recognize the Christ when he was among them. The the Pharisees, a lot of these rulers who were filled with pride and believed that they could easily trap this person from Nazareth, this Galilean, um, they brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. Uh, what they did was emphasize what Moses taught. They said, Moses commanded that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This is the trap. Jesus had been preaching forgiveness and mercy and kindness, and uh, he didn't have the authority to order someone's execution uh, legally. Um, And so they bring her, and if he says something that's opposed to Moses, they can attack him for being opposed to a known prophet. But if he agrees with Moses, well, then they can they can say he's trying to kill people who don't adhere to his readings of the commandments. They can go to the Romans and say that and get him in trouble one way or the other. So Jesus just stoops down in the dirt and starts writing with his finger, and just kind of ignores them like they aren't even there. This does not sit well with him. There's a story about this, which you should understand as being may not be true. It may be utter bunk, but the story is that what Jesus was writing in the dust was the sins of the men who were bringing this woman there. Whether or not it's true, it is interesting to think about. Uh, And whether or not it's true, they continued to pester him, you know, what do you say? What do you say? And at last he stood up and said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Well, he didn't contradict Moses, and he didn't order her execution. So their trap had completely fallen apart. Not only that, which of them was going to, you know, be the first to say, I I am guiltless. I'm going to throw a stone. And from the eldest to the youngest, one by one, they went away. Their trap had failed. And of course, after Jesus lifts his head up and there is the woman and, she, and he asked her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she answered, No, no, no man. And he said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, that wording is important. Jesus had certainly to other individuals told them that their sins were forgiven. He had the ability to do that. He did not say that to her. He said, go and sin no more. He wasn't condemning her to death. There were probably real consequences for this woman uh, if she indeed was guilty of uh, committing adultery. These are things that uh, she and her husband were going to have to work out and uh, and deal with. That's not uh, something that can just be washed away instantly. There are real consequences for these choices. But Jesus was not ordering her to die. He told her the way to live sin no more. This is pretty much the way that he approaches every one of us. It's not immediately with, oh yeah, don't worry about it. It's an invitation to change, to repent, to sin no more to start on a path that will make us better. All right. Jesus, frequently in these situations where he was surrounded by some people that he wanted to reach and others that he wanted to, you know, kind of not give anything to, uh, was in a precarious position. And so a lot of his messages were obfuscated. It was almost like he was speaking in code so that only certain people, Could understand what he said. Here's an example. Then said Jesus unto them When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. As He spake these words, Many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So this is his statement, The truth shall make you free. The way his enemies, which were nearby, interpreted that, was this. We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So, of course, their interpretation is ridiculous for several reasons, um, particularly since bondage was pretty much the standard of life for the children of Abraham. There were centuries of bondage in Egypt, repeated bondage during the uh, days of the judges, There were vassal kings installed by Egypt and Babylon. Uh, There were bondage that was experienced both in Babylon and in Persia, subjugation to the Seleucid Greeks, and the subjugation that they were under at that current time to Rome, never in bondage to any man. Nonsense. A better interpretation is understanding who we are, where we are from, where we can grow, the true purposes of life that brings real freedom. That's how the truth, those truths, can make us free. When we understand which choices lead to temporary consequences and which lead to permanent consequences, our ability to choose is more powerful. Understanding that there is a real enemy who wants to deceive us, and how we can be protected in Christ. That brings true freedom. That makes our choices more important. Uh, This has far less to do with uh, being in bondage or or being set free from some empire. Um, The enemies of uh, Jesus continued claiming they were Abraham's seed, and Jesus pointed out that uh, if they were Abraham's seed, they would have done the things that Abraham did, that Abraham wanted to see Jesus and rejoiced when he saw his day. And they, of course, objected, you know, Abraham is long dead, and thou art not yet 50 years old. And Jesus finally delivers this closing blow, Before Abraham was, I am. Of course, that I am is the same usage that he gave to Moses on Sinai when Moses asked who he should tell the Israelites had sent him. He was proclaiming that he was God. They didn't like that. Uh, But it didn't matter. Jesus escaped, and he continued to preach, and he had to still use his careful obfuscation. Uh, Another thing that he used to kind of explain to his believers was a comparison about sheep and shepherds. I'd like to read this. This is in John chapter 10, at the beginning of the chapter. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not the things which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So there's still a problem. The sheep, are still animals. Being called a sheep uh, contemporarily can be insulting because it implies mindless following. I myself have found this sort of remark uh, offensive and humiliating, particularly when it's used to describe Christians or people of genuine faith um, that were just sheep. I've taken issue with that. But maybe the mistake is mine. Jesus teaches this, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. People who think that they are too good to be sheep are identified by Jesus as not of his sheep. These are the people that deprive themselves of his protection. Maybe being a sheep is not so bad if you're following the right kind of person. In conclusion, Jesus Christ humbled himself. He pointed to his Father and always served him. He didn't use his power to compel people to support him. He let them prejudge him and let the misinformation around so that people could choose to follow who they wanted. He found ways, as with the woman caught in adultery, to stick to his standards regardless of circumstances, mercy, or wrath. He held people to their decisions and invited them to improve and also prevented the the wrath that some of his enemies wanted to provoke. He is the truth. He will make us free. We would do well to be counted as his sheep. Better to be an uninformed follower of the true king than a clever skeptic following anyone or anything else. Next week, we will uh, look at Luke chapters 12 through 17 and John chapter 11. Lot of material in there, but keep up with uh, the come follow me material for this week. And uh, we will, of course, see you again next week. As always, fight on. <music>